Thank you, Sharon. <clears throat> welcome this morning to everyone here at First Church, and welcome to all those listening on the radio. Uh, what a beautiful morning. I've heard by rumor that this could be the last white snow we see this year, so uh, we're all hoping. Uh, get out your shorts. It's going to be 70 by Tuesday. So. Just a few announcements this morning before we get started with our service. Uh, beyond the ones that are in the worship bulletin, the rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Carl and Mary Schmiel's 60th wedding anniversary, which is on Thursday, February 22nd. Confirmation students, don't forget that today and all through February, you'll be staying until 11.30 a.m. to work on your faith statements. And wonderful Wednesdays begin this week. Uh, we invite everyone to join us for dinner at 5.30. The menu is in the bulletin, as you can see, and uh, this week is soup by the Kramers, and I can tell you it'll be pretty good. So if you get a chance, you'll want to come and have a cup of soup. So if you would uh, follow along in your worship uh folder as I read this morning's call to worship, which comes from Psalms 139, verses 1 through 12. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now we'll stand and sing hymn number one, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee.
As we ask the children to come forward for children's chat with Maria Lammers, please greet your neighbors. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good? That's good. Hey, I have a question. What started Wednesday? I did the stuff and I painted it. You did? Okay. What was Wednesday? Ash Wednesday. Good job. What does Ash Wednesday start? What is that the beginning of? Four-letter word starts with L, ends in T. Has an E and an N in the middle. Lent. There you go. Lent. But what is Lent? What is Lent? Nobody knows what Lent is. Reagan, do you remember what Lent is? What does it lead up to? Easter. Good job. It leads up to Easter. Okay. So Lent is the time. Yeah. That's one part of Easter. Yep. That's one part of Easter. But the, but the most important part of Easter is when Jesus dies on the cross for us. Right? And that's what Lent is all about. Getting our hearts ready to, to remember when Jesus died on the cross for us and why he died on the cross for us. Now, you know what my favorite part of Lent is? Wonderful Wednesdays. You know why? Because I get to see all you guys. We have wonderful Wednesdays coming. And you know what we're going to talk about? fruit but not but not like not like fruit we're going to we're going to look at the fruit that we eat but we're going to combine it with fruits of the spirit that live inside us with the holy spirit and so we're going to learn about things like love and peace those are pretty easy patience is that an easy one yeah patience is easy huh <laughs> Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the other hard one, self-control. Yeah. So you know what? We're going to be learning about we're going to be learning about the fruits of the spirit and how they live inside of us. Just a minute, Josie. How they are inside of us and how we can use them and show them to the people around us. Okay? So some of you are going to come over after school and be a part of Wonderful Wednesdays. And some of you get to come and eat supper with us. And it is going to be an awesome time to spend time with our families and our church family and learn more about Jesus and prepare our hearts for Easter. All right? So I'm going to see some of you big kids on Wednesday. I'm going to see some of you little people Wednesday evening for soup. Do you guys like soup? Yeah, soup is good stuff. All right. So let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children. Thank you for their hearts and their eagerness to learn about you. As we start this Lenten season, help us to remember the sacrifice that you gave through your son and his death on the cross. Please help us to start to understand the fruits of the Spirit and live them in our lives this week and the weeks coming during Wonderful Wednesdays. 
And let it be an awesome opportunity for our church and the community to learn and grow and come together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lost this week in an accident near Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Sergeant First Class Jamie Harold Ott, 41, from Hope Mills, North Carolina. Thank you, Jay. Let's also keep in mind the 17 lives that were lost in a school shooting in Florida this week. Uh, Let's pray for them, their families, and the community that is obviously going to be mourning uh, this tragedy for some time. Father, we come to you this morning with with heavy hearts and, and grief, Lord, over yet another act of violence in, in our schools and, uh, and in this country, Lord. Uh, we do pray that your peace would be with the families of those who lost loved ones. We pray for comfort, Lord, in the midst of tragedy. Uh, we pray that your spirit would be present and help, help them, Lord, to, to navigate and to, to work through this, this very difficult time, Lord, a time I can't even begin to, to imagine myself. Lord, we pray for the community that you would surround them with, with love and support. I pray the churches in that community would be a, a strong witness of love and grace and courage during this time. And I pray, Lord, that, that those who are, who are grieving, those who are lost, those who are confused, Lord, would turn to you and find comfort in your spirit and your presence there. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, our country that you would work in the hearts and the lives and the minds of of our people that we can no longer that we no longer have to continue to hear stories like this and and hear tragedies like this. We pray for your peace to reign. We pray for an end to senseless violence, and that you would, um, Lord, work in our hearts and our minds because Lord, we know that that is uh, the ultimate solution because you are the Prince of Peace, and we we know that in you, Lord, uh, we have that eternal hope. And so we, we pray for those families that lost loved ones, and we also pray, Lord, uh, for, for our own needs in our own communities as well. Uh, we lift up our concerns that are, are listed in the bulletin, Lord, with the, the names that are represented there. Uh, Lord, you know what's going on in each of those situations. Uh, we do also pray especially for the, the family from our St. Mary's community who, who lost their home in a fire. We pray for uh, provision for them and pray, Lord, that you would uh, work out the details for them in terms of, of their short-term care, but also their long-term care as well. Uh, Lord, we, we pray knowing and full well that you are good and gracious and, and, and amazing and a powerful and holy God uh, who, who not only hears our prayers, but is able to act and to work on them according to your will. And so we pray in full confidence that you hear us. Um, and it's not by any merit of our own or not by anything that we deserve but it's simply by the merit of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has made a way for us to to know you and be in a relationship with you. And so we give him all the praise and the honor and glory. We pray in his name, just as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. 
I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time as our choir sings near Blessed Savior.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, if you would join us in hymn number 259, Breathe on Me the Breath of God. So we'll sing number 448, a charge I have to keep. I feel like last time I was here a couple weeks ago, I started off my sermon by thanking Tori for filling in as I was away uh, when Miles was born, and now I get to do the same thing again because I was sick last week. Uh, thank you. At least the first one was planned a little bit better, right? Uh, but thank you again to Tori for covering uh, covering for me last week. Um, it was a very short notice uh, being homesick. Uh, with a stomach bug. So thank you, Tori, for, for stepping in, and, and you did a wonderful job once again, and, and a great follow-up to your message on, on discipleship about then making disciples of others, which actually fits right in a great segue into our, our Lenten series and talking about the book of Jonah here. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for, uh, again, this opportunity to be here. Thank you for uh, making me well and, and better so I could, I could be back here with my church family and, and sharing your word once again. I pray that you would guide our time together, Spirit, work in our hearts and minds, that you may uh, teach us what, what you have in store for us today. And I pray that you give me the words to speak as we open your word together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When Allie and I were married, we're, we'll have our nine-year anniversary this summer. Um, so we're talking back in the summer of 2009, uh, when Allie and I were married, we had our honeymoon in Hawking Hills. We decided to rent a cabin down in, the, in that area, and I'm sure several of you have been down. It's a beautiful, beautiful area down there. Um, and, and so we had rented this cabin, and we couldn't, 
arrive there until later in the evening, uh, the day after our wedding. And so we spent time with our family that afternoon and, and opened wedding presents and did all of that stuff, you know. And so we uh, got later in the afternoon, we packed up our car and we headed down towards Hawking Hills from Canton, Ohio. And it's a few hour drive and it was a fairly easy drive. Um, and, and as we were getting closer and closer to the cabin, uh, we were using our GPS. We had a Garmin. Uh, this was before either of us had smartphones or anything like that. So we were pretty dependent on this, on this machine to get us where we were going. And so we got down into the Hawking Hills area, and, and every turn we made, the roads got a little narrower, right, a little bit, little bit further away from civilization, and, uh, and we, they just kept getting smaller and smaller roads. And, and by this time in the evening, the sun had set, and it was getting darker, so it was kind of hard to navigate, but we just trusted in this GPS system in, in terms of where we were going. And eventually, we just started going up this almost as, as much of a mountain as Ohio has, I suppose, uh, this, this big hill. And, and we just started turning off on these roads. And, and we started turning off on roads that didn't seem to be roads anymore. Um, we started going on these very narrow roads and, and going by these long driveways with houses set way back in the woods that didn't look too inviting. And, and eventually we ended up at this intersection. And, and the road we were on could barely be considered a road to begin with. It was a very... Um, very like narrow, hardly paved or, or anything like that. And, and our GPS was telling us to make a left on this road. And we pull up and we look and it was this, it wasn't even a road. It was like this gravel path leading into the woods. And we're like, man, if the cabin is back there, I'm not sure we want to go. So we're like, we're going to trust it, you know, because technology, right? We trust our, our GPS. And so we, we make this turn and we start going on this road, and, and the road just itself got narrower and narrower and narrower. And we're in this little Dodge Neon, right? And not a very big car to begin with. And, and about a couple hundred yards down this road, the trees get so close to the car, they actually begin scraping the side of the car with their branches. And we're thinking, I don't think we're in the right spot. I don't think we're heading in the right direction here. Uh, we eventually got to a point in the road that was uh, wide enough, and we did about an 18-point turn and somehow managed to get the car turned around. And we're like, we're just turning around, heading back to civilization. We had no cell phone service. It's the middle of the night. We were both kind of freaked out about the whole situation. And so we, we eventually get the car turned around. We backtrack our way back to where we have cell phone service, and we call the owner of this cabin and say, like, are we in the right spot? Like, if your cabin is down this road, there's no way we're going to go there and be able to stay the night. And she said, what, what directions were you following? I said, well, we just put the address in the GPS. She goes, no, that is not the way to, you want to go to get to this cabin. She said, on, apparently on the website it says, do not follow your GPS, follow these, follow these instructions. And we completely missed that part of the the website. Um, it turns out we, instead of going up and over the hill, we needed to go around the hill to get to the other side where the cabin was. And eventually we got there and, and we enjoyed our time together. But uh, obviously it was a little bit of a, a frightening moment because we found ourselves heading in a very, the very wrong direction that we were supposed to be going. Uh, we were we had an opportunity to, to head in, in, in a certain direction, and if we had followed the followed the way that we were supposed to go, the, the whole trip would have went a lot smoother. Uh, but instead, we we have a good story to share now a few years later. But in the moment, it was not the most fun experience in the world. 
What we're going to be talking about today and what we're going to be looking at throughout the rest of Lent is the story of, of a prophet of God who, who went in the wrong direction. Now, his wasn't quite an accident, as we're going to see here today, but, but he found himself going the opposite direction that he should have been going. And, and we're going to be talking about, uh, throughout over the next several weeks, why he made that decision and, and how that relates to us. You see, the story of Jonah is so much more than just the story of a big fish. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a favorite Sunday school story for many reasons because, you know, it's, it's a fun story to, to talk about and, and all the adventure that he went through. But it's so much more than, than just a fun story. There's so much that we can relate to. And, and the story of Jonah is really about us. You see, we, we can relate to Jonah. We may not be prophets. We may not be uh, missionaries. We may not even be pastors or anything like that. But we all are called by God, and we can all relate to the calling that God places on Jonah. And so we're going to be talking about what that, what that looks like for us today and in the, in the coming weeks. But before we jump into the, the scripture today, I want to just give a little bit of a background about, about the setting of the story here. The events described in the book of Jonah most likely took place during uh, the time period about 786 to 746 B.C., um, uh, we, we can get a, a glimpse of that because there is a prophet uh, named Jonah, son of Amittai, the same name that's given here in Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, that it's the only other mention of, a potential mention of this prophet we have in Scripture. And he was a royal prophet who served in King Jeroboam II's court in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so the book of Jonah doesn't really give us any biographical information or any historical data about the story itself, but we can, um, can surmise some of that based on, on that reference to Jonah and the rest of Scripture. And as I mentioned, uh, throughout the story, Jonah is really a representative of God's people. I think the reason why the author doesn't give a whole lot of biographical information is because he doesn't want that to get in the way of us identifying with the prophet. See, with that little bit of information, with just the name, it's easier for us as the reader of the story, as, as, as the one who is, who is studying God's Word, to, to put ourselves in that prophet's place. We enter the story through the, through the lens of Jonah, and, and, and we're able to identify with him both in his high moments and in his low moments. And the message that, that this story wants to communicate is a message about how, how Israel, God's people, relates to the Gentiles, those outside of Israel, and also how Israel relates to God himself. There's two, those, two kind of, those two relationships are at play here throughout the story of Jonah. But Jonah isn't just a story for God's people in seven the mid-8th century B.C. It's a story for us today. Jonah represents God's people in each successive generation. We have something to learn from Jonah because the call that God gives Jonah is the same call that he continues to place on our hearts today. And so, not only that, but we see some major Lenten themes throughout the book of Jonah too, which is why we've decided to settle here for our time leading up to Easter. Many of the themes that, that we talk about in Lent, like disobedience and repentance, God's faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness, God's grace and mercy extended to both Jonah and the people of Nineveh. 
they all have to do with the same kind of questions and the themes that we talk about in Lent too. Confession, repentance, God's calling on our lives and, and how that relates to us as we prepare for God's uh, work through Christ on the cross and in the empty tomb. And even the final lingering question of the book of Jonah really points us to Christ. Points us ultimately to the fulfillment that, that we have in the Son of God. And so we're going, to be, we're going to be exploring some of those themes throughout the next few weeks as well in terms of, of the gospel according to Jonah. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at these first opening verses and kind of set the stage for our, our time together, the rest of this Lenten series. Uh, the first thing that we can learn about these opening verses is that God is sovereign over and cares for all people. In other words, God doesn't just care about the people of Israel. Right? God doesn't just care about the, the people within the walls of this church, but he, cares, he is sovereign over and cares for all people. And we see that because God calls Jonah, one of his own prophets, to go to this foreign city of Nineveh and to preach there. Nineveh is described as a great city. It was, it was large. It was important. And it was, the, it was uh, a major city in the, Cap, in the Assyrian Empire. And the thing about the Assyrian Empire is they were, they were the bad guys. Right? They were not the, the kind of people that, that you would think God would call one of his prophets to go and to preach towards. They were one of the first superpowers in the region. Uh, Nineveh, the city of Nineveh was actually located near modern-day Mosul, Iraq. Um, and, and Assyria would eventually go on to conquer Israel, the northern kingdom, in 722 B.C., so just a few decades after this book of Jonah is, is set. And Assyria itself would then give way to Babylon some hundred years later. And, and, and that would continue as the succession of empires uh, kind of cycled through that, um, that region of the world, eventually leading up to the Roman Empire during the time of Jesus. And so Nineveh, in a sense, represents our enemies, people that are not like us, people who we think are the least deserving of God's grace. These were the, the people that had done so much to, to hurt and to, and to um, work against God's people throughout their history. Yet God is calling one of his own prophets to go and to speak and to preach there. Why would God send one of his people to the bad guys? Why would God send one of his own prophets to a place like that? I mentioned that Nineveh is, most, is, is located near the modern-day city of Mosul, which, if you're familiar, was, was the capital of the ISIS caliphate for some time. Imagine if God called one of us to go to Mosul and preach to ISIS. Imagine if God called one of, one of us to go to that city, that great city of Mosul, and to preach against it. How would you respond? Probably wouldn't be your choice assignment, would it? Imagine if God called us to go to Pakistan or to Afghanistan and preach to the Taliban. Let's go back a little bit in history. Imagine if God called us to go to Moscow during the height of the Cold War and preach there. Imagine if God called us to go to Nazi Germany during the height of the Third Reich and preach there. 
Just think of, like, wrap your mind around that. That's, that's the kind of call that God is giving to Jonah here. It's not like he's saying, just head down the street and preach to your neighbor. He's, he's calling Jonah to go into a very dangerous enemy territory and to preach to those guys. That's not exactly an easy call if you think about it. But if we were really to evaluate ourselves, right, we, we often think of, we, we go back to that us versus them mentality so easily, don't we? That insider versus outsider, that we're the good guys and they're the bad guys, right? We're deserving of God's grace and they're not. But the reality is that we are all enemies of God at one point. That because of our sin, we've all, or we are all in rebellion against God. And so it's not about us who are deserving of God's grace and them who are not. The reality is none of us are deserving of God's grace. All of us have fallen short of God's glory and, and we're all sinners who are in need of a Savior. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. See, that's the, the good news right there. Is that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. And that He has extended grace even to us as we were enemies of God. And so therefore, we should be called then to go and extend that same grace to, to our enemies. See, God is, is sovereign over and cares for all people. Even those we don't necessarily think are deserving of His grace. See, because He is the God of all nations. He's not, he's not just Israel's God. He's the God and Creator and Sustainer of the entire universe. In those days, gods were often confined. The lowercase g gods, right? Uh, people thought they were confined to certain geographical locations. So there was the God of Israel who was just in Israel. There was the, God of, of e the gods of Egypt who were just in Egypt. There were the gods of, of Nineveh, I assume, who were just in Nineveh. And so each region, each area had their own God who had control in that area, but they were not gods elsewhere. But we see, what we see in Scripture is that God, the Lord of Israel, is the God of the entire universe. Psalm, and, he is, and He has dominion and control and sovereignty over all nations. Psalm 47, verse 8 says, God reigns over all nations. God is seated on His holy throne. And he has claim over that. He is Lord over that because he created each and every one of us. He created the heavens and the earth and all that are in it. And so as creator and sustainer, he has dominion and control and, and stay over, over the lives of these people. That's why he sends Jonah to preach in Nineveh. Because he has sovereignty and care for those people. So there's two implications for us, I guess. Right? If God is truly in control and truly sovereign and cares for all His people, that has two implications. First, that everyone, the nations, are accountable to God. See in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, God has made Himself known. God has, has made Himself available to all people through creation. Through, uh, he's made His invisible qualities known. And so people are without excuse. They are accountable to God. But God doesn't just leave it at that, though. He cares for His people and cares for His creation, too. He desires to reconcile them to Himself. Ezekiel 33.11 says, Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7, through 7, Paul writes to, to the young Timothy, he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Not just your friends, right? not just your neighbors, not just the people who you like, but for all people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people, okay, not just our neighbors, not just our friends, but all people to be saved. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to all, to at, to at the proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And I true, a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. See, God has cares for and has has compassion for his people and desires that they all come to a knowledge of him. That's at the core of, of God's call to Jonah and that's at the core of his call to each one of us to reach out with the love and the grace of God. You see, he calls all of us to participate. He calls all of us to participate in his redemptive plan. God commissions Jonah to go and to preach in Nineveh. He says, get up and go. Go quickly. Don't hesitate, right? This is important. Go and preach towards these people. You see, God's people were called and are still called to be a light to the nations. And this isn't just a New Testament, Great Commission kind of thing, which it is part of that. But this goes all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God first calls Abraham, he says, go he calls Abraham out in order to make him a people. And he says, all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. All the nations, all people will be blessed because God's call is for us, his people, to be a light to the Gentiles so that his salvation may reach the ends of the earth. 
I mentioned the Great Commission, and Tori talked about that last week. The call to go and make disciples of all nations. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12, through 12, again, the call to be a royal priesthood, proclaiming the praises of God so that people can, can see and witness our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. See, that's what being a light is all about. That's the call that God has placed on each one of us. And He calls all of us to participate. The call to go to Nineveh and to preach is, is not just for Jonah. It's not just for professional Christians like pastors and missionaries. But it's for each one of us. You don't need a theological education or a ministry degree to go and to, to share God's love. We're all called to share God's love with others. And we're all equipped with the most important tool to make that happen. The most important asset of all is God's Spirit living in us and working in and through us to reach out to others. See, God pushes us out of our comfort zone. That's what He was doing for Jonah. Jonah had spent his time working as a royal prophet, which meant he had probably lived a pretty good life in the royal courts, serving the king. And, and God was calling Jonah to step out of his comfort zone, to go into enemy territory, right? And to preach the word. And he calls us out of our comfort zones too. He calls us to, to step out of the where we're comfortable and to, to trust him in that. And so the question is, what is your Nineveh? Right? What are, where is God calling you to go? And what is He calling you to do? He may not be calling you to go anywhere. But I believe that God calls each and every one of us to participate in His, His mission to, save, to seek and to save the lost. If you're still drawing breath today, if you're still here with us, I mean, God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it involves loving God, loving others, and making disciples of Jesus Christ. But we'll also see from this story, and we're going to explore this theme throughout the book of Jonah, is that we have a responsibility then to respond to that call. There's a surprising twist here in Jonah that I don't want us to, to just skim over because we're so familiar with it. And that is Jonah's response not to get up and go to Nineveh, but to get up and to flee from the presence of the Lord. To try to get as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could. We don't necessarily know where Tarshish is, right? There's not a, a map that we have where we can just pin it on there. But the, our best guess, our best assumption is that Tarshish was probably somewhere in southern Spain. So if you're thinking about, if you can envision just a map of the Mediterranean area, right? There was, there was Israel was, say, like here. Nineveh was about 500 miles in that direction. And Tarshish was about 2,000 miles in that direction. He said, all right, God, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to go that way. That's not what you'd expect from a prophet of God, right? That's not what you'd expect from someone who had been serving God their entire life. And before we, before we just rag on Jonah too much, we have to admit we do the same thing, don't we? We sense God's calling on our lives. We sense God nudging us in a certain direction. And so we turn and turn coat and run in the opposite way. We all have a little bit of Jonah in us in that sense. The opening verses here don't necessarily give us his motivation to flee. We actually have to wait till the end of the book, the end of the story to get that. 
But it does say that in his, in his, in his flight to Tarshish, he was attempting to, to flee from God, to flee from the presence of the Lord. As we heard in our call to worship, right, there's nowhere that Jonah can possibly go to escape the presence of the Lord. God is the creator of heaven and earth, and he is everywhere. But I do believe he was trying to get away from his responsibility. He was trying to, trying to avoid the call and avoid the, the responsibility that God had, had placed on his life. He was trying to avoid the plan that God had for him. And so in essence, he was, he was heading in the wrong direction. And as I mentioned, we do the same thing too. We take detours, right? We wander off the path. Like Allie and I on our honeymoon, we may, there may be clear instructions, clear directions on how to get there, but we think we can do it better on our own. And so what are you running from this morning? What are you running from this Lenten season? Being a disciple is all about being rooted and growing and serving, but each step of that discipleship process requires new commitment. God may be calling you to be rooted in Christ, but you're resisting. Not ready to quite give up that sense of independence and not willing to trust Him with your life. God may be calling you to grow together in your faith, but you just don't have the time. God may be calling you to serve in some capacity, but you just don't think you have anything really to offer. Those are all ways that we run from the calling that God has placed on us. So instead, we need to embrace our role as as an ordinary radical. Not everyone is called to go to Nineveh. Not everyone's called to pack up their things and, and head 500 miles in a certain direction. But we are all called to live out God's plan for us, where we're at, where he's put us in our everyday, ordinary lives. There's a friend of mine from my last church in Huntington. Uh, she had this just passion for God. And it was just great to see it and how, how it was living out in her life. But, but she was the kind of person who was ready to go to Nineveh. She was ready to pack up her stuff, sell all her belongings, and move to the Congo or somewhere out there in order to serve the Lord. Like that was, that was the passion. That was the desire that she had, but it just, it was not the right time. It was not the right situation for her and her family to do something like that. She had kids at home. They had responsibilities, you know, to take care of. And so, so to, to just pack up and go like that was not the direction that God was calling her to, to go in for her. Her Nineveh was to stay home was to continue to live and to faithfully serve the Lord in the context of her family and her community and her job, which seemed so ordinary at her, for her at the time. But for her, that was her calling. That was her Nineveh. See, we don't all have to go somewhere. We don't all have to pack up our belongings and give up everything in order to serve God. It's about faithfully serving Him where you're at and knowing what that looks like for each one of you. So we have to know what our Nineveh is, but we also have to ask ourselves, what is our Tarshish? What's that place, that situation, that job that you think really will make you happy? The problem is that our Tarshish won't bring us true joy. That escape that we have, that we think is, is, is bringing us true happiness, will never last. True, lasting joy only comes from knowing 
and serving the Lord. That's the only thing in this life that will last. And so if we're trying to run from Him, if we're trying to escape His plan, we're running away from true joy and true fulfillment. It's only when we turn and embrace what God has for us that we'll truly be satisfied. In John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, Jesus tells His disciples this, If you keep My commands, you will remain in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, that's what Lent is really all about. It's about seeking after God. It's about pursuing Him and embracing His plan for our lives, whatever that may be for each of you. It's about, it's about recognizing that we often head in the wrong direction and that we need to take a moment, reevaluate us to love and to serve you. And you've called us to do that in, in unique and individual ways. And we are so grateful for that. But Lord, help us to, to embrace your call. Help us to embrace the plan that you have for us. And, and not, Lord, seek an escape to Tarshish of our own. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing in closing um, the one Maria said. <laughs> Number 259, Breathe on me, breath of God. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Sorry about that miscommunication there.